0: Well, let me just begin by saying good morning and welcome to all of you who are here in this room, but I especially want to say welcome to those of you who are joining us by video right now. I'm really glad that you're there. We can't all be in the same place at the same time all the time, but it's great that we can be connected and learn from the Scriptures together and learn and grow together as followers of Jesus Christ. Hey, for those of you who may be new here today, you maybe haven't heard about this yet, if you've been around our church even for the last month, you've heard that our church family is exploring a new name for itself. We've been praying and talking and hopefully seeking God's guidance for us in a name for our church that would communicate more clearly to those outside our church the character of Christianity, the character of Christian community and life with God that they will find on the inside. And I want to talk to you about that today. And I'll tell you, this actually isn't the first time I've talked to some of you about this. In fact, I've talked to already hundreds of people, literally hundreds of people in our church family about this already, some of you individually, some of you in smaller groups, in our listening groups, or Q&A groups, and I gotta tell you, and it honestly might surprise a few of you off the top, I've found some real deep unity around this topic in our church. Now, that doesn't mean we agree about everything, I'll say that in a second, but there's some really important unity about really important things in our church. I wanna talk to you about that unity today. There are some things that we're not so sure that we see eye to eye on, that's okay too. That's nothing to be afraid of. You can't get a group of people this size to all agree on everything, even on some important things. And honestly, not only is it okay, it's not something to be afraid of, it actually in some ways is a good thing. One of the things I like about a church that doesn't agree about everything is you know where our unity actually is. It's not because we all come from the same place, we all think alike, we all decide things all alike, we're all part of the same culture, we're all part of the same generation. That's not true. Our unity is in Christ. Our unity is in coming to know the good and beautiful God that we know in Jesus and learning to live the good and beautiful life that Jesus invites us to. Our unity is in Christ. I celebrate that. So here's what I want to do today in the midst of all that, is I want to begin actually just by laying my cards on the table. I'm going to tell you right up front, sometimes in a message, have you ever noticed how like we build up to the big point at the end? Today I'm going to tell you right up front exactly what I think and then I want to, kind of where I think that we should be leading at this point, then I want to spend most of the message today talking to you about why. Like, what brings us there? Why does that matter? That's where our deep and, unity, uh, deep and important unity matters the most, where unity and clarity is the most important. And then at the end, I want to invite your participation. I want to invite your engagement. i gonna got some notes There's a postcard in your worship bulletin that I'm actually hoping you won't really write much on yet. I want you to wait a little bit to the end of the message. We've got some time built into the service for that, and we're going to invite you to submit some ideas in a little different way in both of our worship venues here today. Those of you online, we've got a web form that you'll be able to use. You can find on our website for this after the services today also. So let me begin by telling you what I think we should do. Let me lay my cards on the table first. I think, along with our church council, our whole pastoral staff, and the rest of our church staff, I think we would be better off with a new name for our church that communicates more clearly to those outside our church, more clearly than the word first does, about the, communicates about the character of Christianity that people will find here on the inside. And I think there's two pieces of this. That's one, and I think the other big word in our name right now, the word Lutheran, I think that the new name that we're praying to God for and working on already should still include the word Lutheran. This has been a topic of conversation among a lot of us. I think it should still include that word, just not as the first thing we're telling people. We need them to know something clearer than that before we tell them that, which many people misunderstand. I'm going to explain more about that in a few minutes, but I want to lay my cards on the table and tell you that's the direction that I think we should be going in. Now, let me tell you why. I have a Bible right here in my hands. This is about the thinnest edition of the Bible that I could find. It's the one that I carry when I'm up here because it fits nicely in my hand. I want to tell you something I've learned about the Bible over the years. In spite of the, like, microscopically thin pages in this particular Bible, the Bible's a big book. It's a big, thick book that a lot of people know almost nothing about. It's hard to understand it sometimes. It's hard to know how the pieces fit together. Here's something I've learned about what holds the Bible together. It is a story. The Bible is one long story, the center of which, the key to understanding this story is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and he gives us entry into a story that holds the whole Bible together. And this story is a story of a God who is constantly on a mission, a God who is constantly on the move to reach, save, and restore people who are far away from him. Let let me give you some examples of this. At the beginning of the story, like right up here, at the, I, I already turned too far. The first page of the Bible is a story of God creating a good and beautiful world. A world in total harmony with itself, with God, with one another. And that story lasts for exactly that long, right? One page, by the, in most editions. By the second page, you're in the book of Genesis chapter 3, and people are rebelling against God. They're saying to their maker, thank you very much, but I know better than you already, right? Like a bunch of cosmic two-year-olds, right? Humans are saying, I know that you're my parent. I know you made us. I want to do it my way. Thank you very much. And already by the end of Genesis chapter 3, God is promising his rebellious human creatures that he's going to provide for them, he's going to protect them in this world that they've broken, and he's going to save this world. He cannot, will not, refuses to let this world go from him. God's heart is for his fallen world and he is constantly on the move to go and redeem it and bring it back to him. That's the character of this story from the very beginning. If I turn just a few more of these tiny little pages, I'll get to Genesis chapter 12. One of the first really moving the story forward, a foundational story for understanding the big story of the Bible. In this story, God calls to himself two people from among this multiplying population in the world. Their names are Abraham and Sarah. Except that when God calls them, their names actually aren't Abraham and Sarah yet. They're Abram and Sarai. But God has a mission for them. And interestingly enough, to reflect that mission, he changes their name. Isn't that interesting? God takes Abram and Sarai, changes their name to Abraham and Sarah. And the calling that he gives them. He says, I'm, I'm going to call you, and you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to bless you. It just calls them out of nowhere and says, I want to pour out my favor and blessing on you, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. The, nation. the name of that nation would come to be called Israel a few generations later. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And here's the key, the last words of this covenant that God makes with these people in the first four chapters, of, verse four verses of Genesis 12 is, and through you I will bless all the nations of the world. All the nations who are already in violent rebellion against me, who are killing one another, who have wandered far from me, I'm going to get them, and I'm going to bring them back. I am going to bless them. I cannot let them wander so far from me. God's love is for them, and he calls them, makes them of a great nation to bless the world. Now, through a whole lot more pages that we're going to fast forward through right now, in the Old Testament is the story of this people Israel, and some of the stories of their faithfulness and some of their wandering. And when this nation Israel in the Old Testament wanders from God themselves, gets far from God themselves, one of the chief ways that they wander far from God's purpose is they forget that calling. That they forget that they are there for the sake of the world and they begin to think they're there for the sake of themselves. That God's blessing is for them. Where God is constantly pioneering new territory, God is an explorer. And they are settlers, right? God wants to take new ground. They're like, I think I'll just stay right here. We know God. We worship God. We have a temple. There's all these pagan nations out there. I hope they get what's coming to them. But that is not the heart of God. That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is God reaching the world through God's people. One of the funniest examples of this, you wouldn't think it'd be funny, right? One of the funniest examples of this is a story of a prophet from the Old Testament whose name is Jonah. Some of you may have heard the story of Jonah before. There was a movie about Jonah a few years ago. Jonah is a prophet that God sends, not to Israel, actually, like most of the prophets were. God is sending Jonah to speak for him among the nations of people who don't know him yet. He says, Jonah, you're going to go to Nineveh. Now, I would guess a lot of you don't know a lot about Nineveh yet. It's not in existence anymore. It's in modern-day Iraq in the Middle East. Nineveh, 2,500 years ago, had the reputation that Las Vegas has right now, Right? What happens in Nineveh stays in Nineveh, okay? When when the whole reputation of your city is built on, you shouldn't tell anybody what you did here when you go home, right? You might want to think about that two times, right? That's Nineveh, okay? It was famous for violence and immorality and greed and anti-God everything, right? God says to Jonah, I want you to go there and tell them about me. And Jonah goes, I don't think so, God. And it's not because he's afraid. Why wouldn't he go there? afraid of getting hurt, afraid to laugh at him, reject him. That might be what you're afraid of. If, if God calls you to do that, might be what I'd be afraid of. Jonah is afraid that it will work. <laughs> He's like, "God, if I go tell them that, they'll probably repent, and you'll forgive them. and I can't have you forgiving those terrible people." Wow How, much, how far was Jonah's heart from the heart of God? So Nineveh was to the east, and Jonah bought a passage on a boat to the west. He got on a boat sailing to Spain, to the city of Tarshish. But so committed is God to reaching people who are far from him that he causes Jonah to be thrown overboard and eaten by a fish and vomited on the beach. Right? You don't want that to happen to you, do you? Right? Okay. I don't want that to happen to me. I would rather go where God says to go. Right? Share in the heart of God to those who are far from God. And God sends Jonah to Nineveh. This is the character of the story of God through the pages of the Bible. And nowhere does it become more clear. Nowhere is God's movement toward people who are far from him clearer and more powerful than in the life of Jesus himself. In whom the Gospel of John says the word of God became flesh and dwelled among us. Not the word of God came to a prophet that God sent a message through. He actually came here. There's another translation I like to use sometimes that says the word of God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. All right? Not a missionary from far away. God moved. God moved right to where we were, he wasn't content to be a settler somewhere else, he came to us, the baby Jesus was born in a barn in Bethlehem among us. And all throughout the the history of Jesus' life, the character of his life and ministry, his teaching, was about reminding his fellow countrymen, his fellow Israelites who knew God, but in that age, largely did not share the heart of God for people who were far from God, and Jesus kept doing it. He kept teaching people who didn't know the love and grace and hope of God about God, in our Bible reading in both of our worship venues this morning, we read this story about Jesus doing something that he did over and over again, going to see tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners, sinful people, and inviting them to dinner, sitting down at the table with him. I think Jesus, in his practices of the present kingdom of God on earth, he healed the sick, he cast out demons, he forgave sins, and he had dinner. I, I could do that one, right, I could have dinner. He invited people like you and me to his dinner table. And that made good church people go crazy. They just couldn't stand it. They were always complaining about it. He was eating with racially mixed up Samaritans and morally mixed up sinners. And they complained about it. And one time, in the example that we read in our services today, Jesus gave some famous answers. He actually did that more than once, but this is one example. I want to read you again the opening verses of that story. This is is what happened. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. They they wanted to hear this. They needed to hear. It was life-saving, life-changing news. But the Pharisees, the good church-going people, the synagogue-going people, and the teachers of the law, they muttered, oh, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus heard them, and so he told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Just pause there for a second. Does he? Would a shepherd do that? 99 sheep, 1% risk, 1% loss. Would he? Would you? Would I? I'm going to do confession time with you here for a minute. I'm a church leader, right? Lots of you have roles of leadership in our church, roles of influence, whether official or not. It's pretty easy for pastors like me. I know other pastors in their churches who I think, if they were being honest, would say the same thing. It's pretty easy to get pretty consumed with the 99 who are already gathered together. It's pretty easy to see what's happening on a day-to-day basis, Say the flock that is gathered together, this is what I'm worried about. I know that there's one who's wandering. It's just one. There's so many who are here. And it is so easy not to share the urgency of Jesus. It's so easy to be consumed with what's happening right in front of our eyes. And if you made me think about it, if you reminded me and made me contemplate the plight of people who don't have the hope of God in their lives, who will one day finish the 80-ish years that they're gonna spend on this earth and have no idea or no hope for what comes next, who are living with guilt and shame in this present life, from things they know they've done that have hurt people and their families, or terrible things that have been done to them, and they're living with this sense of of crippling shame, and don't know the love of their heavenly Father to them that can heal that. If you made me think about that, if you made me think about people who don't know that there is a God, or who think that God is out to get them, who think that God is angry with them and punishing them, they don't know the love of a good and beautiful God in Jesus Christ who don't know who they are at the core of their being for Jesus' sake, that they are children of God in whom Christ dwells, who could live in the unshakable kingdom of God, and their whole life is shaking. If you made me think about that, then then it would change. But it's so easy not to think about that. It's so easy to be concerned about the 99, and Jesus has to come to me. He has to come to other church leaders. He has to come to other leaders and influencers in this church family and remind us about that there's still one out there. And Jesus was passionately committed to the one because he knew that's what God was doing. And he says in the next verses, and when the shepherd finds the lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He doesn't wait for it to come back and say, well, when the sheep is hungry, he'll come in. When When something happens, they'll come. I'm gonna go find it. I'm gonna carry it home. He calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. He thinks everybody will be as happy as he is. And then Jesus delivers the punchline. I tell you in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I remember the first time I ever told somebody who didn't know Jesus about the love and grace of God in Jesus and what it means for your life. And it was about the most awkward, stupidest conversation i probably ever had. You know, I was, I was in college. And I remember I was talking to this friend of mine who was worried about all kinds of guilt and all kinds of things. And I just said, you know, I, I guess the way that I live, I have a different peace in life. And they were asking me about where that came from because I, I just know the grace of God for me. I know I've been forgiven. And if God could love me and forgive that, I guess everything else is gravy. It's okay, you know. And I would, I would want that peace for you too. That was it. That was the whole thing, right? <laughs> and the next day that person called me up and I talked to them in the afternoon and they told me they decided they wanted to have that for themselves too. They wanted to believe in Jesus, wanted to follow Jesus. I didn't know what to say. I'd never done that before, you know? And so all I said, I, I had heard that verse somewhere growing up, in my, like in my childhood. I was like, I just, I am so happy for you. I have so much joy right now for you. And the Bible says that there are angels in heaven throwing a party right now because of you, right? That's the joy that Jesus said God has. That God is constantly on the move and the people of God have this temptation to settle, right? Like, I think I'll just stay here. We'll just, we'll just set up camp. We've come far enough. And God is like, mm-mm, we're pioneering down the road. We're going to go take the love of God. We're going to take the peace and the hope and power of God to people who don't know God's love in Christ yet. I just, this could be pretty abstract, so I want to ask you a question. And I'm thinking about this for myself, too. Who is that? Who is that one? Who's that lost sheep in the circle of your life? Maybe you can remember how it has been you. Maybe you feel like it's you right now. And I wanna ask you to also think, who else might it be? And don't do what I do way too often, which is I, I can build up calluses over that feeling. I can think it's too uncomfortable for me to worry about that. I can just rather deal with the easy things that are in front of me. Who is that for you? Is it like a child in your family who's wandering far from God in all kinds of hurt and mess because of that? Is it a neighbor? Is it a brother or a sister? Is it a grandchild maybe? Who is that? I want to encourage you with the truth that Jesus brought us. I'm not making this stuff up. I don't have that kind of authority. But Jesus teaches us to believe that God's heart is for that person in your life. And that when you hurt for them and that when you pray for them, God hears that prayer and cares. That God is on the move toward those who are far from him. So I want to encourage your heart with that news, and I want to trouble you (laughs) with this news. I want to challenge you with the story of Scripture that God reaches people through people, that God has always used Israel and God has used Christians, the people of Christ, to bear witness to his love and grace and character in the world. And right here, before we finish the message, I just want to pray together in the confidence that God hears these prayers and loves lost people more than we do. Let's pray for a second. God, your heart is for people who are far from you. And that is us in many ways. And it has been us and we continue to wander. God, for those of us who feel like that's us right now, please encourage our hearts. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Draw us close to you to know who you are and to know who we are in you. And God, we pray for those people in our lives who also wander from you who are in pain because of that, who don't know that they can be called your children in Christ in whom Christ dwells and live in the unshakable kingdom of God. And we pray that you would draw them to yourself and we offer ourselves to your mission, God, to go where you are, to move where you move. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I feel passionately about that. I'm sweating up here. I feel so passionate about that. <laughs> and let me ask you a question that's of direct relevance to the questions that we're talking about here in our church family to share the heart of God that is on the move for people who are far from, to get over the temptation to be settlers and to be pioneers with God, do we have to stop being Lutheran? Like, Is there something about being Lutheran that makes that impossible? All right, now, for those of you who know that I'm an ordained Lutheran pastor and a Lutheran seminary professor who's like a dealer of this drug to other people, okay? (laughs) You should know my answer already ahead of time. But I wanna give you right now a three minute, don't time me, crash course In Lutheran theology, I teach whole seminary classes on this, so this might be a little bit oversimplified, but I want to give you a crash course in the heartbeat of Lutheran teaching. The word theology is a big word. Theology is a fancy word for words about God, study of God, teaching about God. All right, I should tell you in advance that I think of different groups of Christians, different denominations of Christians, like people who play on the same team and they play different positions. Like I'm a basketball player, so like somebody's the point guard, the forward, the center. People have different gifts, okay? So like I don't think that like Presbyterians don't know Jesus or something like that, okay, or Baptists or whatever. I think that Lutherans have some very strong strengths to bring to the team. I have no idea for the point guard, forward, center. I don't know. But I think we have some incredible strengths to build, to to give to God's team on earth, and I want to tell you what those are, okay? The first one is that Lutherans are really good at knowing the difference between law and gospel. Very briefly, law tells you what to do and what not to do, right? Probably all of you know this. If you ever drive a car, you're constantly worried about the law, right? Right? God's law is a good thing for our lives. It orders our lives. It leads us toward things we should do and shouldn't do. That's a good thing. It's just not the gospel, right? The law tells you what to do. The gospel tells you what God has done for you. The gospel is the good news announcement of how God has moved and continues to move toward the world and toward you to forgive your sins and give you new life in Jesus Christ. It's an announcement and it is the best news the world ever heard. It's just different. And I'm not saying other Christians don't know that. I'm just saying Lutherans especially focus on that and try especially hard not to mix that up. I think that's really important. We know that God is moving, right? Second, Lutherans never forget that Jesus, who has been raised from the dead, who has ascended to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, to reign as the world's living Lord of heaven and earth, that he was crucified for us. That although he reigns in glory, we never forget the price that he paid. We always remember what it cost Jesus to love us and save us. And that's so important for a hundred different reasons. One of those reasons is there come days in all of our lives, in the span of our lives, when it runs off the rails. When it's like the lights go out and the darkness gets thick and we're ready to pray, God, why? Where are you and why have you forgotten me? And then we can remember that's exactly what Jesus prayed on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? And then we will know when we look at natural disasters in the world, genocide, cancer in our family, abandonment, we can go, it is, these are not the places where God abandons his world. God is not absent in the dark times. These are the times when God is most present. He was there in the cross of Christ, suffering with his world and raising Jesus again from the dead, and there is hope from the absolute darkest of times. And Lutherans have a strength in that. That's one of our majors. And finally, Lutherans have some characteristic convictions about the sacraments, and that is baptism and communion. We are celebrating communion in all of our worship services here this morning. Lutherans don't think that sacraments are something we do. We believe they're something that God does. That in the waters of baptism, when children or other people are baptized in our worship services up in the front, like we just did here last week, or in the front of our traditional sanctuary, or we go to the lake once the water warms up, please God, let the water warm up. Once we do that, right? We don't think that's something that we're doing to tell God that we believe in Jesus. We believe that somehow, in God's mysterious ways, that he's using baptism to move in our lives, to join us to the death and resurrection of Jesus When we celebrate communion, we don't think it's some nice ritual that we just are doing together. We believe that God is on the move toward his people, present mysteriously by his spirit, really present in communion somehow in ways that we can't even understand. But he forgives our sins and draws us to himself and makes us one people. We believe that in the sacraments, God is on the move. So in case you were wondering, does does being Lutheran mean you can't believe God is on the move? Absolutely not. And I believe that these things are powerfully true and powerfully important. I believe so passionately in these strengths that I'm committed to do whatever it takes. And that means changing whatever stuff has to be changed about the container that these truths are in, that we will reach the next generation with the truth of God in Jesus Christ. Because God is on the move toward them. He cares about them. He loves them. And I just pray that we could love people half as much as God does. Now, here's the other question. If that's what Lutheranism is all about, when people hear the word Lutheran, what does it mean to them? What what, what do we think? What do people outside our church think when they hear the word Lutheran? And this is where it gets really messy. This is so complicated, right? Because for some people in our church family, some of you in this room, some in our traditional sanctuary, some of you perhaps joining us online, myself too, I've spent time in my life actually in a lot of different Christian streams, but mostly Lutheran, most formatively in Lutheran churches, And for many of us, when we say the word Lutheran, that's basically what we mean. It's like a synonym for things like Christ-centered, biblical, holy, reverent, like good Christianity, right? I mean, Lutheran is the word for all those great things. Now, I have to tell you, there are other streams of Christians even for whom it's totally not true. And there are actually a bunch of you in this church who are listening to me right now. This has been your life experience. And somehow you made it into this church, I'm going to say something about that a minute ago, in a a minute, but you spent years of your Christian faith believing that Lutheran churches meant exactly the opposite of that. That kind of breaks my heart. It's breaking the hearts of people that are crying little tears all over our church this morning. But it's true. Like you met Lutheran people or you went to Lutheran churches and what you thought that meant was not Christ-centered, not biblically based, not concerned about people who are far from God. And some of you, I'm not saying your names because I don't want to get you in trouble with people you're sitting next to. But, like, you, you got here, but you had to be dragged kicking and screaming into a Lutheran church. One of you uh, came to a listening group recently. And you told me after the group, you said, that's exactly what happened to me. We moved to town, and someone told me, you should go to First Lutheran. That's a really good church. And you were like, I don't think so. <laughs> and they're like, no, seriously, actually, it really is. And you came and couldn't believe it. Now, for those of you like me who believe the best things about Lutheran, that's hard to believe, but those people are our people, and they're part of our family, and that's fantastic. But these actually are narrow slices, right, of the greater population. We, we aren't the people whose God's heart is moving toward through us, right? Let's talk about the huge fraction of people who don't know God in Christ yet at all. And this is even messier, because the word Lutheran means 100 different things to 50 different people in those cases, Right? I mean, for some people, on the positive end of the spectrum, the word Lutheran can help communicate, even if they don't know what's really happening inside, we don't know people who are unchurched people, but but it communicates to them that it's kind of an established brand, right? I mean, there's been Lutheran churches on street corners in Minnesota since before any of us can remember, right? Sometimes two or three of them on the same intersection, depending on the Swedish and Norwegian and German history that had to build all these separate churches, right? So it says, well, uh, I don't know a lot about them, but they've been around a long time. It's not some kooky, fly-by-night, weird cult thing going on in there, right? And actually, I know some of you who are a part of this church, that have joined this church in recent years, who had a bad experience with Lutheran churches growing up. You walked away from church, but when God stirred in your heart that this church was named Lutheran was actually still kind of helpful for you. It was a bridge into a thing that you thought would probably be not so great, but at least not total lunatics, right? So maybe we should put that, that'd be our slogan, not absolutely kooky, right? But I'm joking, but that's, and it's really important, right? People who have found God in Christ here and that was an important bridge, that that matters to me. That should matter to all of us. For some people, unfortunately, the impressions are more, more negative, Studies show that one of the significant perceptions that non-Christians have of Christian people is that we can't get along with each other. That all of our names say Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Catholic, Lutheran. And like if you guys can't figure out how to love each other and get along with each other, why would I want to be a part of that? And that's, that's a tragic thing. That's a tragic thing, but it's a real part of the perception of people who are outside of churches. Uh, research foundations like the uh, Pew Charitable research, uh, Pew Fund Research and also Barna Group have done studies to that effect. And then for some people, and this one kind of breaks my heart too, but there are people I know who are growing up, and I've talked to them outside of our church walls, who think that Lutheran is, that's an okay thing. I mean, my grandparents are part of a Lutheran church, and, and my parents stopped going, and they never brought me. So I imagine it was good for my grandparents' generation that if I were ever going to seek God, I'd probably want to go to a church that was like more designed for my age people, right? Now, I'm not saying that's true. I really don't believe it is. Those of you who are younger than me, <laughs> you're here. You know it's not true. But for many people, it's part of their reality. It's part of their perception. What, what do we do in this complicated missionary environment, in this world toward which God is moving and into which God has called and sent us? All right, in this complicated environment, I'm hoping that you can see why I suggest that we do what I said we do at the beginning of this message today, that I think we should have a name that kind of has two parts to it, that I think that we should have a name that communicates more clearly to those outside our church something about the character of Christianity that they and we will experience here on the inside. Whether that's something about the experience of grace or hope or it could be a whole bunch of different things. Something that communicates that more clearly, more unambiguously to people than the word first or even the word Lutheran does. But I also think that we should have the word Lutheran in our name. I, one of the phrases I've been using is I don't think we should hide it, but I don't think we should headline it. I think it should be there, but I think we should lead with something that's clearer than that. Some of my friends work in churches that have hope in their name. There's, I know some in different parts of the Midwest called Hope Lutheran and Lutheran Church of Hope. And in their community, they're mostly called Hope, which is honestly not a bad thing to be known for, right? I've got a friend who planted a church in Southern California, and their church is called Radiant Church, because when they planted this church six years ago, they felt God leading them to shine the light of God's love in their community. So they named themselves Radiant Church, a Lutheran congregation and mission for Christ. I think they're setting a good example. That's the, that's the same kind of direction that I think it'd be wise for our church to move in. In a minute, I'm gonna ask you to help with that. But before I finish, I wanna take a moment and speak directly to those of you who have the most concerns, the most reservations or objections to a change in the name of our church family. Because when I've talked with you about this, I have heard something in your concerns that I absolutely love, that I think is wonderful, and I, I want everyone to hear it. What I've heard in those concerns is your experience of receiving from those who have gone before you and before us a precious deposit, a precious inheritance, a a robust, living, wonderful, nourishing, enriching faith that is Christ-centered and biblical and gracious and all those things I talked about. And your word for naming that, and the word for naming that for a long time, has been the word Lutheran. And now, if we talk about changing that or something, What what we're worried about, what I hear in at least some of you, and if this isn't who you are, you don't have to own this. I'm not generalizing but I've definitely heard this from some, that you want to hand that down to the next generation. You don't want to give people that you love and care about, whether it's your children or grandchildren or neighbors or coworkers or family members, you don't want to give them anything less than what you received. It's like you you received a sumptuous feast, a rich banquet of knowing God, and you don't want to give like watery soup to the next generation. And I just wanna tell you, I love that. And praise God for that instinct among you. Thank you for exercising that role in our church family. You remind me of this verse from the scriptures, and I wanna give this verse to any of you who wanna claim this. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote, kinda of later in his life and later in his ministry, to a young protégé, a young ministry leader named Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he wrote this letter. What you have heard from me, right? What I've handed to you, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Friends, we're going to do that. (laughs) We're gonna guard that deposit, it's precious, and it's powerful, and we have received it. And I, I for one, I'm going to, I refuse to let it stop with us. We are going to reach the next generation with it. We've got it, we're gonna hand it on, we're gonna share it with those who aren't here yet, and we're gonna do whatever it takes to get it there. That's what leads me to the kind of two-step, multiple strategy that I'm talking about with you right now. And I'd like to invite you into that process here. So in your bulletin this morning is a card. There's, a, there's like a postcard in your bulletin. And on it are two questions. And if you have other things you'd like to ask or say or notes you'd like to deliver, please use a different mechanism. Call me, email me, go to the welcome desk, do something. This is what this card is for. I want you to write on this card... What are the first impressions you hope people outside our church would have about our church, right? I mean, some of the kinds of things you might think of and you can think of more is that it's a grace place. It's a safe place. You're not going to experience judgment and condemnation when you come here or something like that. It's a hope place. It's a place where if you're stuck and life feels like it has no hope, you can find hope for now and forever here. One of the things that I wish people knew about our church and we're trying to cultivate this reputation is that you and we together are a community of remarkable love for one another, a, a countercultural community. Jesus said this would be the brand of his people, that by this all people will know that you follow me, that you love one another. But I'll tell you what, every single name I've tried to think of that has love in the name sounds stupid, like it just sounds like some romantic, sappy novel or something totally inappropriate, right? So maybe you have some creative energy to apply to that. Right? And then I want you to m- kind of make that move. Just, are there any words or images or biblical images that evoke that first impression, that communicate that? This is your invitation into the wide end of the funnel of the brainstorming process. Now in just a second I'm gonna close this message with prayer. At the end of that prayer, in both of our worship venues here, we're gonna have a song led, the same exact song, led live in both worship venues, two, three minutes long. You've got that time to write on this card And then here in this room, we're gonna put that card in the offering basket when it goes by in a few minutes. In the traditional service, you're gonna uh, put that card in a basket at the front of the aisle when you go forward to share in the Lord's Supper in just a minute. So I wanna invite you to take this time prayerfully and share in the heart of God moving through our church to reach people who don't know him yet. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for reaching us. However that was, through our parents and grandparents, through the whole story of our lives, or just recently, recently, thank you for reaching us. And God, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would move us to move with you, that we would not settle for the 99, that we would not be settlers, that we would be pioneers, that we would be explorers, that we would be on the move with you. If that's where you are, if that's where your heart is, we want to go with you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.